Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. Good evening, everyone. What a gift to have had Mass just now, huh? It's just like such a shift to even doing anything else after Mass. It's like, what's the point of doing anything? <laughs> Just by quick way of introduction, my name is Sister Anna Rose, and I am a native of the Cleveland area. I'm from Parma, and my home, yay, Parma, (laughs) hooray. I hail from St. Charles Parish. That's where I grew up and received my sacraments, grew up a few blocks from there, walk into church and school every day, and uh, have been a religious sister for about eight years now. I'm actually going to be making my final vows in a few months this summer, so that's a treat, a true gift, yes. Praise God. I'm Sister Agnes Therese. I originally am from New Hampshire, so a little bit further away than Parma, and uh, I've been with our community for nine years now. After graduating from Franciscan University and then teaching for a year, I, uh, I entered and now serve at our mother house. So you're obviously here because you saw the flyers or somebody told you about this or you were invited in some way, shape, or form. And we're just really excited to be able to share with you this evening because it might seem a little bit odd. There's religious sisters running a marathon, not really something that you see every day. It's kind of a worldly thing for sisters to be doing. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit, not, not sure about that. So people, it's really kind of fun to see people's reactions, actually, even just to seeing us run. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> It runs Fun is a, one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> We've been known to almost cause car accidents, actually, because people are distracted by watching what just passed them on the sidewalk. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> yep, it's hard, hard to say. So we just want to share a little bit about what the experience has been like uh, running and training for, for both of us and then collectively as a, as a group. Um, so the first question is, you know, why, why are we even doing this? And um, I just want to share a little bit personally about the kind of the way that the Lord worked in me as far as the inspiration, because I, I've i been running uh, a, f- a few years into entering religious life is when I started running, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through the evening. But, you know, why why run a marathon? You know, that's a little bit different than just going for a run every, every few days, uh, which we do do in community, maybe not necessarily running, but exercise is a part of our way of life in our community. We strive to live a, a full and a whole life, and so that involves, you know, taking care of the, the temple, the bodies that the Lord has given us. So we um, do exercise a few times a week, but uh, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, I just started, you know, wondering, like, you know, I really do find that I enjoy running. Um, maybe maybe I could run a marathon. Maybe, maybe that could happen. And um, I realized not everybody starts thinking that. It just felt very natural to me, but that doesn't <laughs> necessarily cross everybody's mind. And um, it just kind of mulled this over in my mind and in my heart. And what I realized is that I really was having a desire not just to do this task or achieve this goal, but there, was, there were some other deeper things that, that I was really hoping for, you know, as I continued to sit with this thought that didn't really go away. And a few of those things was the, the desire to run this marathon for others and with others. And so running the marathon for others, our community, one of our primary ministries is prayer and intercessory prayer. So praying for other, others who have entrusted their prayers and their intentions to us in different ways. And, you know, I thought just what a, what a better way to do that than, than physically offering up the miles that I run for the intentions 
that others have entrusted to us. And, you know, that was something that I, you know, was already doing in different ways, but there was just a desire to do it in a little bit more of a particular way. And really to also to offer, um, offer the run as in Thanksgiving as well. Um, when the, the thought and, you know, as we were talking about it, the thought of Cleveland came up, I, you know, was really excited because this really is my, my home and I received so much here. So there was a real desire to, to pray and intercede particularly for this, this particular church and really uh, pray in gratitude for all that I've been given here and, and for all those who, um, who I love so much here and, and who love me and have, have been so good to me. There was also a desire to run this marathon with others. So obviously I wanted to do this not by myself. I wanted to do this with my sisters, so with those who would be running with me. And even more than that, there was a desire to have a team of people running with us. Um, So I know that uh, some people who are going to be running this weekend are are here. Um, Anna also, one of our postulants, is here with us. She's going to be running the 10K. on Sunday as well. Kyle's here. He's going to be running this weekend. And um, yeah, so there was a desire for this to be more than just even the sisters running this marathon, but really a desire to, to invite people into our life and into what we are doing and to run the race alongside of us. And it's just really been a joy, uh, even though those many of those, most of those people who are running this weekend with us haven't been physically with us training, we really truly have been running this race together and praying for one another and holding each other in prayer which has just been such a great gift. So I left at the opportunity to run with Sister Anna Rose. So when Sister Anna Rose was like, I have a scathingly brilliant idea, I was like, finally, I'm not the only one. <laughs> and I had actually started running. In a lot of ways, it was tied to my vocation because uh, I actually was raised Lutheran and I became Catholic uh, when I was in high school. And basically, when I became Catholic, I more or less stopped having a personal prayer life. Not really how it's supposed to happen, but that's kind of how it happened for me. I was living a sacramental life. I was going to Mass. I was going to confession. But I pretty much stopped praying. I studied about the faith instead of talking to the king of the faith. (laughs) And so that, that happened for a number of years until I was in college, And of course, when you're in college, you get kind of restless because all of a sudden you realize that you're going to be an adult someday, someday soon, and you're going to have to be making decisions about your life, and that's sort of terrifying. So I had a lot of restless energy, so I started running to burn some of that off. And I had a running buddy, and sometimes she would cancel our running dates, and I'd say, why are you canceling? That's pretty pretty irresponsible of you. And she said, oh, I have, to go, I have to go pray. That's why I'm canceling. I have to go pray. And I told her, no, that's a terrible excuse. <laughs> like, I know, I was such a good person, right? Um, there's enough time to run and to pray. You don't have to do one or the other. And she said, look, you can tell me that when you pray for an hour a day, because that's what I do. Sophomore in college, right? So I was pretty floored by that response. I definitely didn't even think that priests prayed for an hour a day. So I was surprised, but I'm also competitive. So I said, fine, I can pray for an hour a day. That's what it takes. <laughs> so I started spending an hour a day in our, in our ch- dorm room. We had a chapel with the Blessed Sacrament reposed. So I would go there every day for an hour and pray. And all of a sudden, it was like I woke up out of my slumber And I remembered that God was a person who loved me and not just a rule book in the sky (laughs) telling me what I had to do and what I wasn't supposed to do. 
And that opened up for me the whole question, well, okay, if, if God really is God, which means that he made everything, including myself, um, if, if that's true, there are some pretty serious implications for that. Most especially, he actually knows better than I do what's going to make me happy and what's going to make me the fullest human person that I can be. So that really is what broke open the question of vocation, that it's not just about what I think is a good idea for my life, but what God's inviting me to. So I really might not be a sister today if I hadn't been a runner first. So for my part, uh, like I said a little bit ago, I didn't really start running until I uh, became a sister. Every so often I would run here and there, usually if there was someone to go with me, uh, but I wasn't really quite fond of it. And when I entered our community, like I said, I, I knew that exercise of some kind was a part of our daily, you know, or our weekly schedule and our way of life. And I was very happy to to take that on, you know, as long as well as all of the other elements of our life. But really, I had no intention of that being running. There are many, many other things that you can do for exercise besides running. And most of those things I found a lot more enjoyable than running. Running, I mean, running, look, it's hard and you know, you really have to push yourself. There's days that it doesn't feel good. I, you know, where, where was the, you know, where's the incentive when I could do other things that more especially I wanted to do? So I, I really had no intention of, of having running be one of the, my forms of exercise. However, there was a pretty strong running culture in, in our community, especially when I entered. I had worked hard to cultivate it. Yeah, Sister Agnes Trez had, uh, she was, she was the, um, that was, probably one of her scathingly brilliant ideas that she was working on. And um, so, you know, her and, and other, other sisters as well, I would see them running and, you know, they seem to enjoy it pretty well, but, you know, that's fine for them, but that's not, you know, that's just not what I do. And I'm very happy about the fact that that's not what I do. But, you know, eventually the, uh, the good peer pressure kind of started wearing on me and especially my, my second and my second year in community is our, our a time of novitiate, which is basically a time of more intense prayer and discernment when even some of the more external props from the world, even, you know, communication with uh, outside family and friends is pulled back for a little bit so that you can really focus on discernment and, and what the Lord is, is asking of you and how he's working in your heart. And, uh, that can sometimes be kind of difficult. And I like to think that it's the year when you see, if everything except for God is taken from me, will I go crazy? Right. Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, you should probably leave. Discernment finished. I mean, it's really just, it's that simple. So there you go. There you go. Um, so, you know, in order to keep myself from going crazy, I was like, I got to do something. So I guess I got to start running. <laughs> um, but really, I mean, there were, you know, just, you know, difficulties and things that were, that were, you know, stretching for me as, as there are in, in any way of life. And I, I really felt like, you know, I just kind of feel like I gotta, gotta do something a little bit more than just going for a walk. And so that's how I found myself one cold February day in our community exercise room on the treadmill. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this for two minutes. Nobody else is here. Nobody can see me. Then we're going to be done. And I found that I actually didn't dislike it that much. And so, okay, you know, maybe we can do three, maybe five. And it just started growing gradually, gradually, gradually. And then the weather started getting warmer. And so I started thinking, oh, maybe I could do this outside. And we have like some hills on our property where we live. So uh, that was a little bit tricky. And then people started seeing the fact that I was running. So that was, um, that was a really actually good help for my pride, <laughs> seeing the girl who doesn't run starting to go for a run. So, I mean, really, it just kind of happened 
you know, by mistake, it felt like in some ways, but I, I did start feeling that, you know, I actually do enjoy this. And I felt like, you know, I can, in some ways I can even better converse with the Lord sometimes while I'm here, just doing that physical activity and, and speaking with him about whatever was going on in my heart was, was really, really helpful, I found. So the other thing is, is that we learn not just that as we run, we can pray and be with the Lord, but even that he takes delight in the fact that we take delight in things. You know, I kind of joked about how running a marathon seems kind of worldly, and it does, doesn't it? It's like, well, don't you have something better to do? <laughs> you know, don't you have some, some other pressing matters? And what's been beautiful is to see how the Lord has folded all of this into our way of life. First of all, we didn't just, you know, decide, hey, we're, let's just run a marathon. <laughs> you know, we, we prayed about it. We brought it to our superior. Mother Marianne mysteriously was okay with it. <laughs> Still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> Sometimes Thanks. you don't ask questions. We're thankful for it. Just say thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll just let that one be. Um, but even how it's been a big part of our intercessory life, Sister Anna Rose has mentioned that. I had one run especially where I just felt so privileged um, to be able to bring people to the Lord in that way particularly. It was uh, back in February, I think, or maybe March, and there was a windstorm. It's questionable whether I should have been running, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. It was like 33 degrees and gusting winds up to like 40 miles an hour. So not really ideal conditions. I think I had to do like 10 or 11 miles. And so, and I was by myself. I don't remember where you were. So I was, <laughs> I was getting ready later. to go out. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it seemed like a good idea to just, so this was actually pretty proud of myself for this. I thought to wear sunglasses in case, you know, a stick were going to impale me or something like that. I wanted to protect my eyes. But for some reason, I didn't think to wear gloves or a hat or long socks or running tights. So basically, my arms, legs, and face are completely exposed to the cold, blustery wind and occasional hail that was going on as I was running. So I went out, and I was just like, well, clearly, Lord, this has to have some sort of meaning in the mystical body of Christ, because it has no meaning on any other level. So I went, and I was running, and I just started bringing to the Lord all the people that were on my mind and heart, all the people I'd spoken with that week who had entrusted intentions to me on the phone or face-to-face, -face, my family, my community members, those who are benefactors, all the things, you know, just, you know, off the top of my head and heart, not really diving too deep. By the time I finished just like the most obvious sorts of intentions, I was five or six miles into my run. I was just like, overwhelmed by the privilege of the people I carry day to day. It's not often that I just sit and think about each person that I carry with me, you know? And so it was just such a privilege to, to feel the burden of, of the, the responsibility that people have given me in entrusting their intentions in their lives. Um, so it was just a really beautiful time. And then to be able to, you know, offer up my numbing hands and the possible nerve damage that I was doing to them <laughs> and and just say lord it's all it's all for your body it's all for you but it's not all um heavy you know and it's not all suffering i actually very seldom experience the suffering dimension of running i 
I think it's because I never played sports growing up, so I haven't ever had like ACL surgery, so my body is relatively sound. <laughs> Not really sure, but it's, it's pretty much just enjoyable for me. And that's one of the things that I have to um, kind of receive as a gift. Because again, you can say, well, if it's, if it's fun, it's probably not worth doing, right? <laughs> if it's just enjoyable, it's probably not what the Lord's inviting me to. That's kind of a lie that I've, I've listened to at different times. And uh, really, my relationship with running has been part of how the Lord's broken that down and been showing me, hey, I actually want you to enjoy life, and I enjoy it when you enjoy it. There's that great quote in Chariots of Fire, right, where Eric Little says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. God takes pleasure in us doing what we enjoy and do well for his glory. It's all part of his life. That's, yeah, part of the meaning of the incarnation. I remember before my first vows, I went on retreat with some sisters in New Hampshire and this very wise older sister was my, my retreat director for the week. And I was ready. You know, I'm about to make my first vows. So you're pretty, you know, I've mellowed out since then. So you can imagine what I was like six years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. And so I'm there. I'm ready for like spiritual boot camp. And I want it to be physical boot camp too. I'm ready to go running every day, make that part of my prayer. And it was a heat wave. Like May in New Hampshire is usually beautiful. And it was like 90, 95 degrees every day. Brutal, but so I'm, I'm going out, I'm doing my prayer periods, I'm running every day and like reporting back to this sister. I don't know if she really cares, but I was, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and so she finally like looked up one day, like maybe day three of the retreat, it was a week long retreat. She goes, you know, sister, like we have a pond like across the street, you can swim in that. <laughs> like, do you know that it's 95 degrees outside? <laughs> like, why don't you go for a swim? I was like, sister, like I'm not even a good swimmer. It's not even going to be a workout. It's not going to be challenging. She was like, why don't you just go for a swim? And that's, I mean, how often does the Lord have to say that to us? We're like, okay, Lord, I'm ready to like drop and give you 20. He's like, I don't want you to drop and give me 20. <laughs> just sit down next to me and have a conversation. You know, how he really just wants communion with us. And sometimes that's going to involve some pretty heavy lifting, Right? But that's not the primary thing, and that's not what it's ordered to. The point is what we've just experienced in Mass, is just to be with him. And the joy and the suffering all wrapped up together is just part of the path that we take to that communion. Yeah, so um, for me, some of the, the really beautiful things that I've learned through through this experience and, and really pretty much every, every part of this experience of training particularly has been a surprise or been unexpected. Like I said, it's, you know, this is the, this is definitely the, the most that I've run over the past few months and the farthest distance I've been preparing for. And it's just really been interesting how when you're training for something concrete, there's a particular goal and an end in mind, it changes everything. It changes everything, especially, you know, there were different setbacks that, that I experienced in my own training. And, you know, if you're not looking to a particular date when you're going to run a particular race for a particular distance, it doesn't matter maybe so much if you have to take a step back or maybe change some plans. But when there's a particular date that you're, that you're looking for, looking toward, it changes everything. 
And I think that's something that's, you know, also so, the same in, a, in the spiritual life. When we're all looking towards the, the end, the goal, the prize, which is Christ himself, that changes everything. It reorders and reorients everything that we do. It informs everything that we do because everything that we do is, is ordered to that end. So that's how I started kind of thinking for the first time, really, you know, as, as far as this goes. And it was just a beautiful illustration for me of how really all of life is. But like I said, you know, I'd never run this much or this many, you know, this far of a distance before. I think the farthest that I had run before starting training for this, per se, uh, in earnest at the beginning of January, probably was about six miles. Uh, and that was because Sister Agnes Trez tricked me into it. Um, <laughs> we went for a run one day, and uh, it's on a, a trail near our mother house, and it's uh, flat and just goes on and on and on forever. And that's where a lot of our long runs have happened as well. And so we were just going. It was a beautiful day. We had agreed on four miles beforehand. You sure it was four? I thought it might have been three. <laughs> anyway. It's practically the same thing. <laughs> so, you know, we got to the point where you would turn around for however many miles it was that we had agreed upon. And, you know, maybe we could just go a little, what if we just went a little bit further? Maybe just a little bit further. And then you get, you get a certain distance out and then you got to turn around and come back. You know, you've got other stuff you got to do. We've got to get back for prayer. So you might as well run if you're, if you're out there already. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's what happened. But, you know, I, I, I have to say I found that it really wasn't that, again, really wasn't that bad. But anyway, so really the longest I had run up until that point was probably about six miles. Um, and so as training started, uh, I, I just started experiencing that pretty much everything that I had thought that it would look like wasn't what I wasn't actually what was happening. Uh, pretty much all of my expectations um, were changed in some way. And so for me, uh, part of what that looked like is I started experiencing just different uh, difficulties with feet and hips and different things like that, uh, pretty much from the outset. And what that meant was that I needed to start doing a lot more cross training, a lot more strength training, um, seeing a physical therapist, and just doing things in addition to and in place of running. And I found that I really wasn't enjoying that very much. I didn't find that fun at all. <laughs> so, you know, irony of all irony is I go from being the girl who never wants to, you know, be out running to all I want to do now is go out and go for a four mile run. And I can't do that. I need to, I need to be taking a step back to rest the parts of my body that need to be rested so that hopefully, you know, I can keep um, and become strong enough so that I can, you know, pick up the training again. And this period of time was, was pretty difficult for me uh, internally. You know, it was, it was just hard to have a lot of the expectations that I had about training change. You know, and I, I found myself saying, you know, kind of surprisingly, and it was, it was really humbling in a lot of ways, just feeling like, Lord, you know, this, my, my, these are my plans, and they're all not going according to the way that I would like. And I'm kind of upset about that. I'm actually very upset about that. And uh, it, was, it was humbling to have to say that to the Lord, especially about something that, you know, I thought, you know, why, why does this really matter, Lord? Like, why can't you just, like, let me, you know, let this go peacefully? <laughs> why does this have to be such a struggle? And I think, um, I think that what I, what I found, though, especially during that time, was that that's exactly where the Lord wants to work. That's exactly where the Lord wants to work in those things that we sometimes think are insignificant, but that's exactly where he wants to work. That's what he wants to talk to us about. You know, I, I, I caught myself eventually in this kind of thought pattern that, you know, Lord, can we just like, can, can this whole like 
marathon thing be, be fixed and like, you know, put back the way that I would like it to be put back so that we can talk about things that are important because I know this isn't really actually important to you. That's what I thought, you know, because it seems so, um, yeah, maybe worldly or, or, or secular to use that word. But that's exactly where the Lord was working. That was where he was inviting me to deeper trust and deeper relationship and deeper really intimacy with him in those places where he was asking me to trust, you know, and in those places where I realized also that I had stopped coming to him in trust. And I had started kind of projecting on him this false image that, you know, this can't be important to him. And it really, it took a while for me to be quiet enough and trustful enough to hear that he actually thought that it, it he, he felt that it was important to him because it was important to me. And it really wasn't until I could hear those words and trust those words that we could actually have a conversation about it. You know, and then I could say, Lord, this is frustrating for me. You know, this is something that's, it, it's important to me and it's, you know, I'm, I had these, you know, desires and hopes and dreams for this and it's not going according to plan and and that's, that's hard. But it was so beautiful to finally be able to talk to him about it when I could trust him with it and then not approach in such fear that surely this is what he wants to take from me. I could trust him. I could approach him with open hands. You know, with that, that true spirit of childlike detachment that whatever happens is coming from the hands of a father who loves me. You know, and so that didn't happen overnight. And there were still days where I really did just feel helpless in front of my own inability, feeling, seeming inability to give it over. And, and it was those days when I needed to trust more and just say, Lord, like, I just really feel like I can't give this to you. So please help me. And, and I was just so grateful for, really grateful for his patience with me during that time, especially. And, and I'm so grateful for that, for those weeks that were very difficult, but I really felt just like drawn more deeply into trust of him. He is patient, isn't he? And he also has perspective that we don't have. You know, I love to think about the Lord's kind of bird's eye view of reality. We've got this tiny little image of what's happening. We can just see ground level, but he sees everything. And I was reminded of that a lot. Last week, actually, I was on my retreat. So I was, I was in a completely unfamiliar neighborhood, actually, in Massachusetts. And so I was in this new place, and I, I was like using my the GPS map to kind of figure out where I might be able to run for approximately the distances I was looking for. And uh, the first the first time I had a 12 mile run, so the sister who was directing me said, "Oh, there's a there's a really there's a park with great trails, so it's just a couple miles down the road." Now it's basically against my principles to drive somewhere to run. I just hate doing that, but you do have to do it sometimes. And it, it, I was just trying to make things as easy as possible. So I was like, I'm gonna go to the park. So I drive to the park, you know, and again, I, have, I also have no sense of direction at all. Like God forgot to install the internal GPS. I get lost like immediately. I don't even know if we turned right or left to come into this church today. That's <laughs> just kind of the way things are. So I got to the, the park and I'm like, I'm going to make this as easy as possible for myself. I'm going to park in the main parking area. And I noticed there was a big lake. So that's a good thing because that's a, um, you know, a really obvious landmark. You know, keep the lake on your left or whatever, you know. What I didn't notice is there was a lake in five ponds. <laughs> 
So that changed things a little bit <laughs> because it becomes a much less reliable landmark when you have no idea which body of water is actually on your left. <laughs> so I was, and it's a big park, so I'm running, and 12 miles is enough time to get lost and find yourself again. So I wasn't too worried about it, and I've gotten lost enough times to where I don't actually panic. So <laughs> for better or worse, right? So I was just running, and I could kind of tell, it seemed like I was going in circles, but it didn't really matter yet, right? Because I didn't need to find out where I was at that point. I did run into these cute ladies walking and they were, there, was, there were some paths closed and they were like, I don't know the way out. Good thing I have my GPS on my phone. And I'm like, oh, too bad I don't have a GPS on my phone. <laughs> so anyway, running. And, and finally I was like, you know, getting to where I wanted to at least know where the paved roads were, right? So I could find my way back to this main entrance. So I decided that every time there was a split in the trail, I would take the more established path. It's a good principle, right? I was pretty pleased with myself. So I did eventually, I, I found my way from the, you know, just pine needle covered trails to ones with more rocks and then like basically a dirt road. And then I came out on a road, <laughs> but not in the park. <laughs> So that was a little discouraging. <laughs> so I, I was like, well, what do I do? I start, started running down the road. So I'm near, near Boston, so Catholic Boston. People recognize a sister still. So, so I'm, I'm running, and, and there's this guy in a, he was in a big white truck with a NRA bumper sticker on it. <laughs> and um, so he pulls over at my, at my sheepish wave, and he was like, oh, so just, you know, you just got to, he actually gave very careful instructions. He was like, go back to that, you know, that gate with that road. He considered it a road. I didn't consider it a road, actually, but, you know, and, and he said, always take a right, always take a right. So I go, and I'm, I get on, and, and I always took a right, but I think he meant stay on the main road, but always take a right, so I ended up back on the road. <laughs> so I actually went up someone's driveway because I saw someone working on their car. I was like, I need to get out of here. Like, I'm on retreat. I have another prayer period to get in. <laughs> Can't just run all day. So this other guy gives me good instructions. The first guy actually had offered to drive me back to the park, but I was, first of all, a little afraid. Second of all, um, I still needed to run a few more miles. So I, uh, so I got directions the second time. This time, I found my way back to the car. So like six days later, I had an eight-mile run. So I was like, I'm just going to start from the retreat house. <laughs> it seems like a safer plan. Use my GPS, more or less get an idea for the map. So I turn, and I saw also that you can actually go through the whole park on a road. There's a road that goes all the way through, so that was helpful to learn. What I realized, though, is that the road is the path that I took, and the trailhead for this, you know, road is less than a mile from where I was staying. When I came out on that unknown road, I was closer to home than my car was. And that's the way that our lives are. So often we're like running in circles through the woods, thinking about ticks, right? Or at least if you're me, you are. And we feel like we're not going anywhere. And you have no idea if you're any closer to your goal or if you're further away. I know it was so humbling for me. There was one year I was living with a couple of sisters who are like 20, 25 years older than I am. And they were like, they were all saying like, oh, 
I, was, I feel like I was holier when I was 20 than I am now. It's a little discouraging to hear that kind of thing, right? <laughs> but that's how we can feel. Like, oh man, I was holier when I was in my teens. I was holier when I was in, you know, freshly converted. I was holier when whatever. And the fact is, we probably weren't holier. We just didn't know how depraved we were. And we might be closer to home now than we ever were. We just don't have the perspective to see that yet. But God does. And that's where I think we can really tap into his vision. Fortunately, we can talk to him about this. We don't have to be totally, and sometimes he does keep us in the dark for our good. But we can say, Lord, am I like totally out of the park here? Or am I on my way home? Where am I? Do you have your eye on me? I guarantee you he'll, he'll answer that prayer in one way or another. And two, we use maps, right? I use the GPS map. We have maps for the spiritual life also, don't we? I love John of the Cross. Love him. He's like my best friend in the spiritual life. His name isn't my name, but I basically celebrate his feast day as much as I celebrate Christmas. December 14th is as good as the 25th, right? John of the Cross, the ascent of Mount Carmel. So good. I've read it several times, even in Spanish. But when you actually get to that point, when you're living what he wrote about, it doesn't look like the book. (laughs) It doesn't look the same. Just like on a map, distances, it's like, oh yeah, I'll just like take a turn and I'll be there. No. Distances on the road always feel way farther than they look on a map. And it's the same in the spiritual life. We can read about, you know whatever, the dark night or purgation or whatever John talks about. And it sounds like it's pretty straightforward. But then we live it and it looks so much messier. And our own holiness looks so much more dubious than John makes it sound. So we have to trust the maps, but also live kind of detached from them, knowing that it's going to look different when we're on the road, um, but that we're held in the hands of the one who knows what's going on. Yeah, and I think uh, another example of that for me and, and my own experience these past months has also been about just being able to accept things when they look different than you think that they would. I've already talked a little bit about that, and I had another experience a little bit further on in the training. So, like I said, I had some setbacks earlier on, but um, about midway through, or maybe three quarters of the way through, I actually started feeling pretty good and getting back my strength and was back up to speed in the, in the training plan. And, and that was wonderful. Um, and that, you know, lasted for maybe about uh, two weeks or so. And then some, some of the same problems started coming back. And um, again, that was really discouraging for me. And it was really interesting because I, you know, as I was kind of dealing with that, coming back again a second time, I really did have to be thankful for the grace uh, to, I think, receive it a little bit more differently. There wasn't the the fear of what the Lord would take from me or uh, kind of the, the anger that was there, but just more of a, you know, a peaceful acceptance of it. And another thing I realized, though, at that time was, you know, I was I was starting to feel invincible. I had started to feel invincible again. And, you know, the Lord in his wisdom knew that that wasn't good for me. It's it's not good for me. It's I don't think it's good for any of us to, you know, in, in one way feel like we we can do this on our own um, because it's just not the truth. It's just not the truth. And so, you know, the Lord in his wisdom gave me, a, you know, another physical reminder of that, that I am not invincible. And 
it was beautiful, the timing of that, because that actually that happened, uh, that kind of turn again happened right around Easter. So I had actually spent the last few weeks of Lent feeling really good, uh, you know, feeling invincible, to use that word. And then, you know, here comes Easter, and, and we're rejoicing and happy, and Jesus is risen, and I'm, you know, feeling not so great again. And I'm feeling, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a reminder of the fact that uh, this body is dust and ashes, and to dust I will return, (laughs) feeling that a little bit more concretely in my person. And, and I had to, I had to be reminded again that, you know, the resurrection doesn't mean that the problems go away, just like Sister Agnes Trez was speaking about. The resurrection doesn't mean that everything is perfect. You know, when Jesus came to his disciples after the resurrection, they were still afraid. They were still scared. They were still doubting. They were uncertain. And, and, they, and they had to learn again to trust his presence with them in the mess. They had to learn to trust his presence with them even further, you know, as they, as they were threatened with their own persecution for believing in him. And that's what I think, you know, all of us are invited to do is to trust the truth, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus's presence with us, even when it doesn't feel like it. He's no less risen, even in those places that feels like there's death or that's, you know, there's a tomb here or there. And, and that's what the Lord was really inviting me to do and to trust in as well. And, and he really used that, you know, that experience and, and others like it. Um, he gave me a lot of help in that, in that area as well, because he really gave me a tangible He's given me so many tangible helps. Actually, we, uh, we joke in some ways that I have Team SAR that's helping me. Sister Anna Rose is my initials. And um, kind of despite myself, because of all of these different things I've experienced, I've just had to ask for help in a lot of ways. And uh, that's also very good for me because it can be hard for me to ask for help. And I've also really had the help of my sisters as well, um, the help of them knowing that they are running with me and for me. And especially in those early days uh, when I had to pull back and wasn't running, I just felt very tangibly that I, I was running with them. And they were running with me. They were with me. And that's just been such a gift and a consolation. Yeah, so um, finally, I think that we have to trust not only that the Lord is with us, like by our side, but also that he really is within us. Right, again, I just am very conscious of the fact that we've just, many of us have just received the Blessed Sacrament. We've just received the Eucharist. In Mass, Jesus entrusts his flesh to us. Um, he says that he who feeds on me will have life because of me. And that that's a real thing. That it's a real thing that we bear the flesh of Jesus in our own bodies. And in fact, that he created each of us to be an extension of his life. The catechism, I teach the catechism class to our postulants, so you can feel free to quiz Anna about either of the first two pillars. <laughs> I taught her um, in the catechism, it, it says something that I think it sounds a little bit risque almost. It says that the mysteries of Jesus' life are fulfilled in our lives. Doesn't that sound backwards? The mysteries of Jesus' life are fulfilled in our lives. That's the way God's decided to do things. He entrusts his own life to us as we are. And if Sister Anna Rose has had to struggle with, you know, a tenuousness in her training, I've had to struggle with the fact that I feel like I'm running ahead sometimes (laughs) and I don't want to leave her, (laughs) right? Um, It's been a challenge sometimes to do my own training, to run my own race, knowing the struggle she's in, because everything's been really smooth for me (laughs) in this one area of my life. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? So um, it's been a challenge to accept my own pace, to accept the strength the Lord's given me for this season, and not to feel like that's an indictment on anyone else, not to feel like, oh, you should slow down. You should, you're going to, you know, make someone else feel less than, especially being a Franciscan, there's all this peer pressure. Like, humility is the big virtue of the Franciscan life. You know, so, like, who wants a Franciscan who's like, yeah, I'm going to run as fast as I can. <laughs> right? You're supposed to be like, oh, you know, I'm in the back. <laughs> the, the first will be last, and the last will be first. <laughs> no, please, go ahead of me. <laughs> right? That's, like, the popular image, and that's what we think of when we think of humility or holiness a lot of time. It's like the meek, you know, I'll just be a wallflower, and you can take over. And so for me, it's been, it's been hard to own the fact that that's just not where the Lord has me right now, that he's asking me to run as fast as I can. And that's not setting any land records, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it is the fastest I can go, and somehow that glorifies him. And just to trust in each area of our lives that the fastest we can go is all that he's asking, but it is what he's asking. And that we really can trust him to see us through if we intend to leave it all on the road. And that he himself will finish the race in us. It's not on our strength, but it's by his power, because he really is alive in us by the gift of the Eucharist and by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so just um, before we close this evening, um, just wanted to leave you with one other thought, and that really just is an invitation for each one of you as we've been sharing our own experience tonight, that each one of us are along for this journey and this really this pilgrimage that, you know, has, has been the case for Sister Agnes Therese and myself. Each one of us are on this pilgrimage. And I think this, it's been so beautiful to realize kind of the Lord's providence, even in the timing of, of giving these, these testimonies to you all. I was telling, talking to someone a few weeks ago about what we would be doing, and they made the comment, you know, like, that's kind of funny you're doing this now, you know, like before you run the marathon. Most people, when they do stuff like this, they run the marathon, and then they talk about how great it was or whatever, like the things they had to overcome and, you know, the glory stories and all of the drama. And uh, that's, you know, we're doing things a little bit differently. And, um, and I, I, I realized at that moment and have been for the, the past weeks since then that it's, it's, it's really vulnerable, you know, especially for myself. I've never run a marathon before, you know, so I'm standing up here in front of you talking about all these things that, you know, I've learned and sharing all of these things without actually having completed the course. That's, you know, that's the long and short of it. But that's what each one of us are doing. Each one of us are along walking along our own way, running our own race, running the race that has been given to us by the Lord. The saints have, the saints have arrived, those in heaven, they've made it and they're cheering us on. They're running with us really, really beautifully. And they're encouraging us along our own way to give witness and testimony to the fact that, yeah, I haven't made it yet. I haven't arrived yet, but I'm by God's grace doing the best I can and saying yes every single day, the best that I can. And in the ways that I fail, I'm asking the Lord for his help and his forgiveness, which he gives over and over and over again, which is so beautiful and so consoling because it takes all the pressure off. All we have to do is what is ours to do, putting one foot in front of the other and running the race that has been given to us. So it's just really been a gift. It's been a gift, I think, for both of us um, to, to have this time. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just close with with a song that I actually wrote for our sisters who were making their final vows last year. 
I really feel like it's a song for the whole church, though. So I just kind of um, offer it as a sisterly blessing, and then Father's going to give us his priestly blessing, which is better yet. We all walk this road together, and we walk the road alone. We are pilgrims to eternity, and we have no lasting home. So keep your eyes on the crucified and lay your head upon his breast. As you walk these weary pilgrim roads, heed his voice and on the cross you'll find your rest. We are pierced by joy and sorrow, wounded by pleasure and pain. We know the treasures of this world will pass, faith, hope, and love remain. So keep your eyes on the crucified and lay your head upon his breast. As you walk these weary pilgrim roads, heed his voice, and on the cross you'll find your rest. We are members of each other, bound together by God's grace, and the love that guides us safely to where we'll see God face to face. So keep your eyes on the crucified and lay your head upon his breast. As you walk these weary pilgrim roads, heed his voice. And on the cross you'll find your rest. Yes, heed his voice. And on the cross you'll find your rest. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.